Welcome to Inside New Mexico. I'm Derek Underhill, and I am talking with our chairman of the Republican Party, former congressman of the 2nd Congressional District of New Mexico, Steve Pierce. A note of sadness as we kick off today's program. We lost one of the political pioneers of the state, Dorothy Ronalds, passed away this past week, and her services will actually be held as these programs are airing this week. She was the widow of Harold Ronalds. He was the congressional representative from the 2nd District of New Mexico, I think for about 12 years, passed away in office in 1980. Dorothy, his widow, was at that time kind of expecting the Democrat Party just to let her fill out the term of the congressman. That was kind of the accepted practice back then. I was flying for the family at the point uh, when he was serving in Congress and when he passed away, became very good friends with him. They were Democrats. I was Republican, but nobody seemed to care. It was a time when the parties got along together. After his passing, she ultimately did not get selected by the Democrat Party to be the one to run for them. There was not a Republican on the ballot, and so whoever got selected by the Democrat Party would actually just walk into office. She would have just served out the rest of his term and then allowed someone else to run, but they wouldn't do that, so she got mad and ran as a write-in. She taught people how to write in, and all of this is occurring from about August on, and so you can imagine that it was a very compressed time to run a statewide campaign but she taught people how to write in. Joe Skeen didn't think it was going to be possible. Then late, and it was like middle of October, so maybe two or three weeks before the election, I was with her, and he told her, Dorothy, I think that uh, write-in thing's beginning to take hold. I may just get back in this myself. He got in, and uh, at that point, the Supreme Court had said, you got to spell all the names correctly. Anything you write's got to be spelled correctly, or it doesn't count. You can misspell Dorothy and Ronalds a lot of ways, and so people couldn't spell that, but they knew how to write in. Joe Skeen was easy, both names, sure. and so so he actually won that write-in race, and I think she finished second. The guy on the ballot finished third. All of them clustered right around 28 or 29 percent. And so Dorothy Ronalds passed away, just a, a good friend, a mentor for me and my political career, always supported me in my races, a Democrat supporting a Republican, which that's what we're looking for in American politics. The state has lost just a hero and somebody that was a personal friend of mine. But uh, as we look across the state, we're seeing right now that the special session has been going on. Of course, we're about $2.4 billion short. We would have expected that the governor would have reworked the budget completely, would have taken away some of those dramatic increases and in people that she brought into the state government. But no, they tried to put Band-Aids on it. So it was a very partisan budget. Uh, no Republicans voted for it. And of course, all the Democrats voted for it. But even in bigger news, there was one more attempt to enforce vote-by-mail, the VBM system that George Soros is pushing, and he's pushing that nationwide, but also here in New Mexico. If you remember, the Republican Party went to the Supreme Court of New Mexico. The Supreme Court said, wait, it's against the law to do the VBM. People can vote by mail, absentee mail, but not the VBM system. And so in this legislative session, the same guy that brought the case to the Supreme Court for the Democrats actually introduced a bill in the Senate trying to get that VBM system installed in New Mexico. And it looks like that case is still open, but it looks like that attempt is falling short, does not have enough votes to get out of the legislature. So again, just keep posted. But you know the most amazing thing that happened? The courts decided 
that the people of New Mexico didn't get to go and watch that take place. The courts did not intervene when five or 6,000 people wanted to gather and forget all social distance. They wanted to create mayhem and anger on the streets of Albuquerque. If you drive down Central today, you'll see plywood boarding up most of the windows along about a mile and a half stretch of, of Central Avenue. So they were allowed to gather and do tremendous property damage. And so you're allowed to do that, but you're not allowed to go and watch the laws that are being passed. That just tells you how scared that the Democrats are for the public actually to watch what's going on when they're passing their laws. So just a big weekend news in a lot of ways, Derek. As we record this, it would be yesterday that the president had an exciting rally in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Tell us your thoughts. So the big news is that the president had the rally. That is that the, the media tried to browbeat him and say he shouldn't get out. Of course, what they're trying to do is keep the president indoors. Joe Biden is being kept under lock and key so that nobody sees him because when people see him, they say, well, he's, he's not capable of running the country and certainly not capable of rebuilding the economy after the devastation caused by the shutdown that surrounds the COVID issue. And so what the media is wanting is for Trump to be penalized the same way that Joe Biden is. So the former vice president is under lock and key because he's so prone to gaffes. A lot of times he doesn't remember exactly where he is. And so they're trying to pull the wool over the American people's eyes and make it like he's a good qualified candidate when not many people who know him well think he's a qualified candidate at all. So they're trying to keep Trump out of the eyes of the public. So Trump made his appearance in his speech again comes out attacking the vice president, comes out uh, talking about his four decades of failure. But he also deals with his successes, his, the president's successes in dealing with COVID-19, saving millions of lives, but also getting this economy back going. That balance between the two, that is getting the economy going and saving lives, is probably one of the more significant things that the president has done. It has required more discipline, more artful maneuvering than anything I've ever seen in public life. So the president is back out, and I think he's feeling good about things. People are worried right now about polls that they're seeing that show the president anywhere from 7 to 12 points down. I remind them, number one, the poll that showed him down in New Mexico is two Democrat professors in North Carolina. They do what's called a quick and dirty poll. That is, they only do robocalls. Well, you know how effective robocalls are. People, a lot of times, don't even answer them. So the robocalls go out. There's no scientific method to make sure they're balanced between the voters. There's no way to affirm that, that people are identifying as this or that. And so that type of a poll obviously is rigged and geared for the Democrats because it's run by Democrats. The other polls, which again show a big distance, you have to keep in mind that they are national polls and national polls always have a certain amount of error built in because we don't vote nationally, we vote state by state. And that's where the electoral college comes in. So the president was showing that he was running way behind Hillary Clinton. No one expected him to win and he won by a combination of, of pulling in votes that no one could expect would vote, and then secondly, by winning the Electoral College. So we still look for a very strong campaign here in New Mexico. Absolutely believe that the president's going to win in New Mexico and that we're going to turn this state red because the Democrats continue to overreach. We'll see how the people react, but I think that the Democrats continue to make major mistakes as they move towards the election in November.
Derek, we've got uh, great things coming up in the rest of the program. We've got Carol Swan. She is a former professor of political science and law at Vanderbilt University, and she is talking about the history of the Republican Party as it relates to racism. I think you'll want to stay in and, and listen to that segment. That's coming up in the third segment. So hang on. We've got a lot to talk about in the program today. Attention, New Mexico veterans. If you were honorably discharged from the U.S. Armed Forces, you've earned state and federal benefits, and the New Mexico Department of Veteran Services is standing by to assist you. State benefits include a veteran's property tax exemption, education and training, and transportation services. We can also assist with claims for federal VA benefits. The state of New Mexico and this radio station thank you for your service. More information at nmveterans.org or 1-866-433-8387. Welcome back to Inside New Mexico with our chairman of the Republican Party of New Mexico, Steve Pierce. I understand we have a guest on the phone. We do. I wanted to talk today, Derek, about Dan Cathy. He's the CEO of Chick-fil-A. Of course, his father started Chick-fil-A and and was a strong Christian and supported Christian ideas and Christian organizations. Dan Cathy, the son, now has moved into the leadership role for that corporation and has begun to fund anti-Christian activities and to defund and take away the funds they were contributing to the Christians like Fellowship of Christian Athletes and others. And so this week he made extremely controversial statements. So I've invited a friend of mine, Hingham Stanfield. She is from Iran. When I was in office as a congressman, we were able to help get her passport to where she could get into the U.S. and study at New Mexico Tech. To get an Iranian passport into the U.S. is something that's a very difficult process. But since arriving here in the U.S. 10 or 12 years ago, I'll let her describe that. But she has married and now has kids, and she's an American citizen. She's also a woman business owner in the San Antonio area with restaurants. And I wanted her to come and talk about from her perspective as a small business owner about Dan Cathy's comments. It's a pleasure to be here chatting with you guys. For one, I know we all love Chick-fil-A, their brand and what they always stood for. So some of the comments that are coming out publicly is kind of shocking to hear. But this talk that he did especially about looters and all of that. One of the things he said, obviously, we can talk about the racism and all the issues, but that's not the purpose of what I wanted to talk about, is that one of the things that he said is that he, though some of the Chick-fil-A stores got destroyed and vandalized, that he does not blame the looters, and that is fine. When you're talking about your own business and the decisions you made, this is a free country, you are not frustrated, that's just fine. However, when you're pointing fingers at other people and telling them what to do, what not to do, One of them is being that you are thinking that it's okay for looters to come in and destroy a small business. That sounds to me that Mr. Cathy's a little disconnected because he's in the billionaire club. They make billions of dollars, and that's fine. But he's pointing at a small business. Many restaurants, I want to say 50 60%, many of them may never come back. A lot of local restaurants where we ourselves have local restaurants, I'm very passionate about that. And saying that a lot of them have been closed for months, Chick-fil-A, because of their drive-thru, everybody knows, you know, they've been mobbed. Many restaurants have been closed. 
and they're just trying to back up and open, and you're saying that it is okay for people to come in and destroy your, your livelihood, and you should understand the frustration. So who's going to pay my mortgage? Who's going to pay our staff? I find that to be incredibly offensive and disconnected to reality. And again, that's why I said, you know, he's a billionaire, because I find he has no connection to a small business owner who's laying awake at night thinking about how they're going to feed their family and or their staff the next day. Yeah, I agree. So I went down the Central Avenue in Albuquerque last week, and the windows were broken out for blocks and Mm -hmm. blocks and blocks, probably, I'm guessing, a mile or a mile and a half, both sides of the street, sometimes in the second story. So maybe you know, maybe you don't know, but uh, what does a plate glass window run these days? Once we had a young man who threw a rock at our door, like a regular glass door. So if the door itself, the other glasses are even more expensive. Just the glass door costed us 500 to $600. Plus, we had to pay for somebody to come in to install it. And we had no money at the restaurant anyway, so he just kind of came in and just destroyed the door. And again, that costed us somewhere about five to 600 plus to repair, which was about $800. And no insurance does not cover that. Again, we have a standard business insurance. I'm sure you can pay way more to fancy insurance companies, but the regular insurance won't cover something like that. So you uh, sell pizzas. So tell me a little bit about the margins and how difficult it is to accumulate $1,000 free and clear that you can replace a glass door. Uh, standard restaurant margins is about 10%. So we would have to sell at 10 thousand dollars worth of pizzas and if i'm going to go with twenty dollars a pizza in terms of your ticket average if you do ten dollars it's what's that it's a thousand times ten it would be ten thousand so but it's ten thousand dollars worth of food and labor and all of that that we have to put in to collect a thousand dollars so we can give that money away for that door to get fixed yeah. So when somebody like Dan, Kathy says you should look the other way and just let them bust the building apart and let them tear your business down, he's completely out of touch. And I think that that's uh, your point. What other challenges did you have during these shutdowns to keep your small business afloat? Some of the biggest challenges is that we have not received ourselves one official letter in the mail from the government of any kind, local, state, national, nowhere. They were mandating to close your restaurant and no close your restaurant. And everything is they're expecting us to be watching the news. That's not how we get paid. We're on the ground. We're not sitting in front of the computer, on the phone, checking. The news. We're working in the kitchen. We're cleaning stuff. We're talking to customers. They're expecting us to just be up to date on the latest every single day because they change stuff up all the time. And I understand what's going on, but you are saying things that's going to affect a business thousands and thousands of dollars. So if they don't even put in the effort of a courtesy of letting a business owner know in an official thing, we've not received one piece of official letter. All it is hearsay. I mean, you know, news is not really a lot of times facts. So it's a lot of hearsay expecting us to know what's going on in the news, which I find, I mean, it's ridiculous. What What is a small business to do? How much did your sales drop off during this period of time? In the beginning for our restaurants, and we uh, own two pizzerias, and so we already had a pickup and a delivery model, and we are fast casual setup versus a restaurant that is full service. They were more hurt. We lost about 15% in the beginning in March, and then after that, we very aggressively tried to market our restaurant. We reduced some of the pricing to come up with some great deals. Like There was a lot of allocating different things, and after that, sales has been actually steady for us kind of like before, by God's grace. And again, because we had to pivot, we've done things a little bit differently. We've reduced some of our prices. We've reduced our menu a little bit. We had to pivot to make it work. 
Yeah, and so carryout is is pretty normal for a pizza. But let's mm-hmm. say a small Mexican restaurant that is owned by say a couple for forty years. Let's put them in their mid sixties, which is the truth of a lot of New Mexico businesses. Mm-hmm. A Hispanic restaurant, Mexican food restaurant, somebody in their sixties, and they are not used to carryout because that's not what you do. Pizza, yes, you carry those out; they get delivered. Yeah. That's normal. How agile? Would you find those small mom-and-pop operations to be compared to y'all? A lot of restaurants are like that. Again, a lot of little Mexican or little restaurants get a lot of Mexican great foods and stuff. But when it comes to this, there's been some of the challenges. Then you have these tech companies like Grubhub, DoorDash, that is ran by engineers and salespeople, and they know how to sell. So Grubhub, DoorDash, a lot of times, you know, again, adding delivery, which is big right now, they zap 30% of the bill, whether it's DoorDash, whether it's Grubhub. And so, for example, a company like Chick-fil-A, they also used to sell via DoorDash, but they mark up their food 30% on DoorDash and they do not take the hit but we sell pizza and people are not going to pay a whole lot for a pizza for a local restaurant. So we take this 30% hit when we listed with Grubhub and DoorDash and things like that. So I know that a lot of those companies have been knocking on doors of a lot of these little restaurants. And if you don't know exactly how to negotiate, how to list your prices and things like that, they're just going to steal from you on a good day, on a bad day. It doesn't really matter. Sadly, that's just the way it is. I appreciate you being on the program today. And and I thought it was an important segment so people understand a little bit more about how small businesses work, especially how the restaurant business works, and understand what I believe Dan Cathy really got himself off track on. Thank you so much, Steve. Steve Pierce and I will return with more in just a moment on Inside New Mexico. On behalf of the New Mexico Department of Health, take COVID-19 precautions. Wash your hands frequently for 20 seconds. Don't touch your face. Use a tissue or your elbow to catch your sneeze or cough. Avoid large gatherings and close contact with sick people, especially if you are elderly or high risk. If you have a cough, fever, or shortness of breath, stay home from work or school. Do not go to the ER or doctor's office without first calling the coronavirus hotline. And avoid all unnecessary out-of-state travel. Help prevent the spread of COVID-19. Welcome back to Inside New Mexico with our chairman of the Republican Party. And Steve, we have a very interesting segment about the history of the Republican Party. Tell us about it. Given the background of the racial strife that's going on in the country and the riots and the protests, I was very interested to see on Prager University a clip this week with Carol Swan. She's a former professor of political science and law at Vanderbilt University. Now she is a TV political consultant. And I thought that it would be interesting for her as a black conservative to give you the history of the Republican Party. Racist, sexist, Republican, these words are virtually interchangeable, at least according to most professors, journalists, and celebrities. So are they right? Let's take a look at history. The Republican Party was created in 1854. The first Republican Party platform adopted at the party's first national convention in 1856, promised to defeat, quote, those twin relics of barbarism, polygamy and slavery. Those twin relics were spreading into the Western territories. Republicans feared that as those territories became states, polygamy and slavery might become permanent parts of American life. Polygamy, the merge of one man to multiple women, devalued women, 
and made them a kind of property. Slavery, of course, did the same to blacks, literally. The Democrats were so opposed to the Republicans and their anti-slavery stance that in 1860, just six weeks after the election of the first Republican president, Abraham Lincoln, South Carolina, a state dominated by Democrats, voted to secede from the Union. The Civil War that followed was the bloodiest war in U.S. history. It led to the passage by Republicans of the 13th Amendment, which freed the slaves, the 14th Amendment, which gave them citizenship, and the 15th Amendment, which gave them the vote. In 1870, the first black senator and the first black congressman were sworn in, both Republicans. In fact, every black representative in the House until 1935 was a Republican, and every black senator until 1979 was too. For that matter, the first female member of Congress was a Republican. The first Hispanic governor and senator were Republicans. The first Asian senator, you get the idea. Republicans also kept their pledge to defend women's rights. In 1862, the Murillo Anti-Bigamy Act was passed by the Republican-controlled Congress to put an end to polygamy. In 1920, after 52 years of Democratic Party opposition, the 19th Amendment was ratified thanks to the Republican Congress, which pressured Democratic President Woodrow Wilson to drop his opposition to women's rights. In the final tally, only 59% of House Democrats and 41% of Senate Democrats supported women's suffrage. That's compared to 91% of House Republicans and 82% of Senate Republicans. There certainly was a war on women, and it was led by the Democratic Party. But while Republicans had won a major battle for women's rights, the fight for black civil rights had a long way to go. In the 1920s, Republican President Calvin Coolidge declared that the rights of blacks are just as sacred as those of any other citizen. By contrast, when famed sprinter Jesse Owens, a staunch Republican, won four gold medals at the 1936 Berlin Olympics, he was snubbed by Democratic President Franklin Roosevelt. Roosevelt only invited white Olympians to the White House. Two decades later, it was a Republican president, Dwight Eisenhower, who sent the 101st Airborne Division to escort black students into Little Rock Central High when Arkansas Governor Orville Forbes, a Democrat, refused to honor a court order to integrate the state's public schools. The Civil Rights Act of 1960, which outlawed poll taxes and other racist measures meant to keep blacks from voting, was filibustered by 18 Democrats for 125 hours. Not one Republican senator opposed the bill. Its follow-up bill, the Civil Rights Act of 1964, is one of the landmark pieces of legislation in American history. That, too, survived a filibuster by Democrats thanks to overwhelming Republican support. But you might be thinking, all that's in the past. What have Republicans done for women and blacks lately? The answer you'd hear from professors, journalists, and celebrities is not much. And this time they'd be right. They'd be right because the Republican Party treats blacks and women as it treats everyone, as equals. The Democratic Party never has, and it still doesn't. Today's Democrats treat blacks and women as victims who aren't capable of succeeding on their own. 
the truth is, this is just a new kind of contempt. So there is a party with a long history of racism and sexism, but it ain't the Republicans. I'm Carol Swain for Prager University. By us remaining silent about our background and about the things that Republicans have done, then I think that we do ourselves a disservice. So I felt like that was a very important piece of the program that we're listening to. You know, Derek, we've got just a few minutes here before we close out. And I'd like to talk just a little bit about this chop section of Seattle where the protesters went in and actually kicked the police out. They've taken over that police precinct headquarters and they've got a three or four square block area where police are not allowed. Now, over the weekend, there was a shooting and uh, at least one person was killed and a second person fighting for their life maybe even has lost that life by the time the program airs. And one of the statements was, well, that's democracy in action. That's not democracy in action. That's the reason that we have the police. And when the Democrats talk about defunding the police, they're talking about things like that to where it's not the rule of the law. It's the rule of the strong. It's the rule of whoever has the loudest voice and the biggest gun. A republic is designed to where the most frail among us have the same rights. You don't have to be strong. You just have rights by your citizenship. And so when the Democrats talk about in Minneapolis defunding the police, when they talk about keeping the police out of an entire section of a city, you have to know that that's going to cause panic among most Americans. So right now, the ownership of guns is skyrocketing because people feel like, whoa, if we can't count on the police, we're at least going to be able to defend our own family. And so right now, the Second Amendment becomes more important. So, Derek, just a fascinating view from Carol Swan. But then as you look at the backdrop of what Democrats are saying they want to accomplish in the country today, I think that all of this says that Republicans are going to have a big election in November. Thank you, Steve. And I do want to remind our listeners to please stay engaged with what's happening with the Republican Party by going to their website at www.gopnm.org. You'll get the latest news, upcoming events, information about elected officials. There's voter resources there and all kinds of important and useful information about the party and its mission. You can listen to previous editions of Inside New Mexico there. And please check out the party's Facebook page. They also have a Twitter account. The handle is at New Mexico GOP. The Republican Party of New Mexico is always looking for volunteers to help them with their mission to win New Mexico for President Trump and to turn the roundhouse red. You can call the party headquarters at 505-298-3662. That's 505-298-3662. For Steve Pierce, I'm Derek Underhill. We'll look forward to meeting with you again right here next week on Inside New Mexico.